Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest. This is uh, the Tuesday edition where we talk with you about the Bible and its relevance for today, every Tuesday at two. Glad you joined in. Uh, I'm your host, Justin Dobbs, and Scott's with us today. Scott, how are you? Doing well, Justin. How are you? Good, good. Doing great. Uh, well, let me first invite you uh, to interact with us live if you're able to. You can join us on YouTube. We'll be watching the, the live chat there. So if you want to interact with us there, I'm happy to take your questions or comments, uh, as well as any interaction you have with us on BibleQuest.tv. You can go to that website. We want to talk about your questions and your concerns uh, in your journey to know the Lord and to serve Him. Uh, today, we're looking at Mark 14, continuing our journey through the Gospel of Mark. One of the things I think we had set out to do in this study, Scott, was to talk about just the basics of the gospel, uh, both in uh, talking to believers about the gospel, but as well as how do you talk to um, someone you're studying with for the first time who's not familiar with the gospel. And in Mark 14, we come to, I think, was probably the, the most pivotal yeah. section in the gospel. Uh, yeah. Any intro for this? In First Corinthians 15, Paul is reminding the Corinthians of the gospel that he preached to them. And he said, first of all, that Christ died for our sins, was buried and raised from the dead. And that's exactly what we're going to get to in 14, 15, 16, leading right. up to that. Right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into Mark 14 then. Uh, I can read verses 1 through 9. In Mark 14, verse 1, it says, It was now two days before the Passover, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and to kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you'll not always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Probably a pretty uh, familiar story uh, for most of us, but this is told in Mark. Uh, it's referenced, I think, in, in all the Gospels, really, uh, this anointing of Jesus. Maybe a different anointing depending on the situation, but here, uh, just a few days before Jesus is to be betrayed, uh, the, the leaders have gotten together to figure out how they can arrest Jesus and kill him. I think it's kind of funny in verse two that their intention is not to kill him at the Passover. What's their reasoning there, Scott? Well, back in verse two, not during the feast, lest there be a tumult. So they've had a problem all week. Um, before Jesus came into the city, we know from John that they'd put out an order. If anybody knows where he is, tell us so we can arrest him. They want to arrest him before he gets to Jerusalem, but it doesn't work. They can't find him. Jesus is staying out of sight for a little bit until he comes in in the triumphant procession. And all the multitudes are praising and excited. And you recall some of the enemies say, you prevail nothing, the world's gone after him. 
And then they try confronting him during the week with the trick questions and different things. Nothing's going right. And so they need they need to catch him away from the crowds. Right. And they want to kill him afterwards. And uh, they don't want to get killed. All right. Well, he was very popular. I mean, the mob is on his side, yeah. uh, seemingly. What's going to be interesting is the, the turn of events here where there is going to be a mob that comes against Jesus. Um, but everything they're trying, it, it, it goes against their plans. That's what I think is so funny about this is they want desperately for this not to be during the Passover. Uh, but the Passover is what's so rich in uh, Christ imagery. And so this is going to happen exactly according to Jesus's plan, uh, whatever their attempts may be. And then in three through nine, there's a story uh, of a woman and she has uh, approached Jesus while he's at, just mention it in passing, you know, Jesus is at the house of Simon the leper. Uh, you'd have to know that Jesus must have healed this man <laughs> previously. Uh, but this woman comes to Jesus and anoints him with this ointment that would have cost about a year's worth of, of money, uh, worth of income. Uh, the disciples, I don't know, they, they react in a way that's surprising to me. Um, what do you think is going on in their hearts as they rebuke this woman? Well, in John 12, Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, said, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 shillings given to the poor? And then verse 6 tells us, he said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having the bag, took away what was put therein. Yeah. I wonder, too, if uh, back in Mark 10, uh, I may be wrong about this, but back in Mark 10, remember when James and John, they approached Jesus saying, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask you, which is always, you know, <laughs> Jesus isn't fooled by that. <laughs> oh, sure, whatever. Um, up to half my kingdom. Uh, instead, you know, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, and there's this discussion about sitting at the right hand and the left. When the, the other disciples hear their request, it says in Mark 10, um, verse 41, that they were indignant at James and John. And I wonder if the same kind of thing is happening here in Mark 14, where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's been uh, hailed by the crowds as you know the, the king. Uh, he's been victorious over all the opposition. I wonder if they sort of suspected Jesus was about to come into his kingdom. And then this woman comes and offers him this great sacrifice. And I wonder if they're trying to belittle that gift so that they don't look bad. Um, I don't know. John John includes this, this idea that Judas uh, wants the money from it. But I wonder if they think, well, maybe she didn't do all that good. It, it would have been better if she had done this. And their criticism uh, of her good is maybe for their own benefit. They, they want not to be left behind. Yeah, and it says here there were some among them, and the other text says... You know, Judas, does the other one mention anybody besides Judas or just Judas? Uh, um, Mark, Judas is the one in verse 10 who's going to go out and betray them in response to this. But I think John's the only one that mentions that it was Judas. Yeah, Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples said, why was this one but sold? Uh, it could be that he said this and several of the other ones said, yeah, um, and, and agreed with him. Uh, we know the motive of why Judas said it, because the right. Bible tells us. 
Um, sometimes, um, I would call it's a term I made up, so it may not be any good, but uh, I've sometimes referred to the plural of class. Sometimes one person will do something, but it's it's those who did it. An example would be Matthew 2. When Herod was dead, the angel says, those that wanted to take the young child's life are dead. Oh, sure. Now, Herod's son is on the throne next, so it's not everybody in his family is dead, but but he was dead. Uh, you've got the thieves uh, on the cross. Uh, some say the thieves railed against him. Luke says one of the thieves railed against him and the other rebuked him. Uh, now, you can try to reconcile that by saying they're both railing against him. Right. And right. then suddenly one turns penitent and rebukes the other one. But that's, I, I, I think it might be another case of this. From the thieves was coming railing. And so the thieves railed against him. And in Luke, we get closer detail. It was one of the thieves that railed and another one stood up for it. So yeah. I don't know here. And, 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 but it could easily be when Judas said this, there are several others thinking, hey, I don't like to see stuff wasted. <laughs> you know, it's like a year's worth of income just poured out. It'd be easy to see why somebody might think that was. Yeah. And, and whatever the case is, Jesus understands that she had done this for the proper motives. She's wanting to honor Jesus. Uh, I, I wonder if in all the conversations she'd heard from Jesus about his upcoming uh, arrest and betrayal and um, his, his death and resurrection, the disciples are still scratching their heads about it. But Mark emphasizes that he had said these things plainly. Um, I think the last time we saw this was back in Mark 10. And he, he is taking the 12 aside. You know, the Son of Man is going to be delivered over the chief priests. They're going to condemn him to death. And here she is, and she's anointing him with this oil. The rest of the disciples seem oblivious to what Jesus is about to do. Um, but maybe here's someone who gets it. Uh, I don't know, thinking in application, um, don't be surprised if, if when we try to do something noble and good for Jesus, or maybe even sacrificial for Jesus, uh, other people, even other disciples may not be on board with it. They may not understand or get it. They, don't, be, don't be surprised if the good we try to do is misunderstood by other people. Um, yeah. There's also something interesting here. Jesus said, wherever the gospel shall be preached, that which this woman has done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Mm -hmm. He meant for this to be included. Uh, and two, two, two points here from the Gospel of John. This shows that that was being spoken about, and it was a familiar thing. And also it tells us something about the date uh, that John was written. John is written later. You can tell that John's writing to people who were already familiar with the gospel story. Right. Because he'll say things like, now this was before John was cast into prison. He hasn't mentioned anything about John in prison until he says, now this was before John was cast into prison. If you're telling somebody a story for the first time, that doesn't make sense. Right. There are people that know the story. And it's interesting when Lazarus is healed, and he, when he's introduced as being sick back in chapter 11, 
of John. It says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, of the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So it's going to tell you the story about Lazarus, but it mentions his sister. So Mary's the one that, that did the ointment. So, right. you know, people for me that. And then later in the Gospel of John, he'll tell that story. But he knows that people already know that story. Right, right, right. So let's look at 10 and 11. Judas Iscariot, that was one of the 12, went to the chief priests that he might deliver it to him. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised him money and sought how he might conveniently deliver to him. And so back in verse one and two, they need to find a way to get it. Right. Uh, when he's not with the crowds. Uh, and now when Judas shows up, they're glad. It's like, ah, solution. They were stuck. No, they, they didn't have a way to get to him uh, unless one of his uh, inner circle betrays him. Because uh, they don't know where he is, and Judas knows where he goes at night. They yeah. don't. And so with that knowledge, they're going to send him out. Of course, they're going to do it in darkness. And of course, Jesus is going to point that out. And that's also why it's going to betray him with a kiss. It's, it's dark. And which one of those guys in the dark is Jesus? So Judas will betray him with a kiss. Which one of those, uh, you know, darker bearded men in the shadows? Yeah. <laughs> they all, yeah. <laughs> there's kind of that classic Jewish look, I guess. The, the um, Middle Eastern looking guy. Yeah, that's right. Um, I'm, in the dark. I think probably, probably, most people know who a Judas is, you know. Um, if, if you talk about you know a Judas today, he's a traitor. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think this is a surprise to anyone. But still, if this is your first time reading through the gospel and you come to this point, you have to ask yourself, why? Why would Judas do this thing? Um, and there, there's probably more details. I'm sure we could go to. Uh, you mentioned John and uh, Judas. Uh, greedy for money and the gain that he, he was the treasurer, which brings up an interesting point. Um, I would hope that they could trust each of the disciples, but usually you make the treasurer the guy that you trust the most. <laughs> he, here's the guy who's good with money and we can trust him. So it wasn't like Judas was the sketchiest guy among the 12. Um, but this just kind of comes in almost out of nowhere, Judas betraying Jesus for some money. What, what do you think is going on here? Yeah, I, I think this is an interesting thing, but I also think he is the sketchiest guy among the apostles. Gonzalez, <laughs> Jesus knew from the beginning who was going to betray him. Right. He, he lets him have have the bag, but I think you're right that he's not as sketchy as some of the people around because he has become a disciple. Now right. you may theorize, well, he's a crook and a thief. All he's interested in is money. And so he thinks, hey, I'll start following him. And out of all of the thousands, maybe I'll get picked to hold the bag. No, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, nor does it make sense to the fact that after getting 30 pieces of silver, he gives it back and kills himself. Right. So I think we got a conflicted guy. And I think he's trying to have his cake and eat it, too. Uh, or eat his cake and have it too is the expression I think Risen was. He's 
he's the double-minded man. Uh, Jesus said, you can't love God and love riches. You know, you're going to end up serving one or the other. My suspicion, and when we get into suspicions, we're getting into uh, not much foundation, of course. But my suspicion is, since he knew he was betraying Jesus, he knew he was going to get money, he knew all of this. But when he saw how it turned out, he was miserable and killed himself. So I don't think that's how he wanted it to turn out. I, I agree. I, I, I tend to think that maybe Judas assumed that Jesus would get out of it. Yeah. I mean, look how clever he was the entire week. All of the interviews, you know, we ask you a question. And Jesus says, well, well, you know, and he just answered it so smoothly, so perfectly from the scriptures, defies the logic of all of the accusers. Um, this wasn't the first time either that Jesus had, they tried to kill him. You know, Luke 4 tells us that when he first came to Nazareth after his baptism, they tried to throw him off a, off a, uh, a cliff. Yeah, yeah. And Jesus walks through the crowd. And, and Judas may have been there watching that. So I think you're on to something there. Um, you know, if they would have come up to Judas and said, hey, could you arrange to have Jesus end up meeting with us and answering some questions and we'll pay you 20 pieces of silver? I think, oh, yeah. <laughs> he right. the money and then he watches Jesus defeat the guys. Right. And that I think you you really may be right there that that's what he's thinking. Jesus can get out of this, and I will get the thirty pieces of silver. So it's kind of like Ananias's fire. Right. They become disciples, and they're willing to sell a piece of property and give probably most of it because you can't sell a piece of land and say, "Oh, here's the proceeds. It's one hundred and fifty bucks." You know, nobody's going to believe that. They have to give a substantial part, and yet, and you know, have you ever known? Have you ever known a corrupt evangelist who, you know, does things corrupt or or or? or there, I heard about it. There was a church treasure one time that was embezzled. Uh, a large church, and he'd been embezzling. The elders discovered it. And so I think it was maybe something as simple as putting the checks in the bank, but pocketing some of the cash. And they confronted him about it, and he made a confession. And the next Sunday, he was going to go forward and confess what he'd done. Of course, no longer served the treasure. Instead, he killed himself. Oh. He'd been a member of that church. I don't think he became a member because he thought, hey, maybe I can end up being the treasurer. I think there would have been some interest in the gospel and its message, but you've got a double-minded man, unstable in all ways, and then uh, I think that's the kind of person we want in Judas. Yeah, and I'm not bringing up those questions so we can be sympathetic with Judas, but but I think to some degree we have to see ourselves there. Um, it's interesting in this next section where, where Jesus is going to say, one of you will betray me. Well, why doesn't he just say, Look out for that guy, you know, uh, Judas. I think he's trying to get us to think I'm not as secure as I think I am. Uh, I'm not invulnerable to temptation. 
First uh, Kings 10, let him that thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Not, oh, you're just going to fall, but don't be overconfident. Right. Yeah. Let, let's let's consider this. This has happened time and time and time again. An elder or a preacher or another man in the church starts working with a woman who's having problems in a difficult marriage. Sure. And he's meeting with her individually. And he never, his original motive was not to have an affair. Right. But as he listens to her problems and listens and listens, as he explains how her husband doesn't listen to her problems, she starts seeing, oh, oh, your wife is so lucky. You know, I wish my husband was like you. And he starts hearing that. And it's not what he's hearing at home. And things go awry. And it started with a friend of mine that was kind of in a similar situation. said, I was arrogant. Yeah. I thought, yeah. I, 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 won't, I won't have a problem. And then he had a problem. It reminds me of Simon the Sorcerer in Acts 8, who uh, I, I can only imagine he saw the gospel, saw Philip with the miracles there and said, that's that's real power. And what I've been doing is fake. And so I'm I'm with this. Yeah. But then then there's an opportunity. Maybe yeah. maybe I can regain some status. Yes. Uh, and so whenever we want Jesus and something else. That's where Satan loves to get in. So Judas here seems to say, well, I can still be a disciple and I can get ahead and I can get my financial bonus here. Uh, maybe I can even help usher in the kingdom, kind of push Jesus along and get him to step up as the Messiah sooner rather than later. And if that's what happened, then it would be so easy to understand that when Judas sees what happens, right, he's miserable. And he goes in and he throws down the money and kills himself. Yeah. Yeah. Which we're going to see Peter respond in a very different way. But, but let's keep going here and see uh, how Jesus prepares the disciples for this. In verse 12, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city. And a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He'll show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So some uh, some time markers here in verse 12. Um, this. If we're paying attention, we know something of the old law. This helps us to make sense of this. First day of unleavened bread, it's the day they offer the sacrificial lamb there for Passover. And the way I understand this is the, the day of unleavened bread, <clears throat> excuse me, would begin on that feast, seven days, 
it would begin on the 15th day of the first month. Uh, the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed at twilight on the 14th day. Uh, and of course the Jews, they measured their days uh, from, from sunset to sunset. You know, we measure our day, but I don't know. I used to think that was weird. And now I almost wish we did that because uh, it's about as arbitrary as midnight to midnight. I mean, no one, <laughs> I don't know, unless it's New Year's Eve, we're not thinking, oh, well, now it's a new day uh, because midnight, who's who's awake to see that passing? But the Jews would have said sunset to sunset. And of course, you look at Genesis and there was evening and morning, the first day. Right. right. And morning. So you'll see these interchangeable in the Gospels, whether it's the Passover, and they may mean Passover day, or they may mean the whole week, which is a feast of unleavened bread. And so it's interchangeable at this point. So he says, the first day of unleavened bread, what he means is Passover. They're going to offer the Passover lamb, and they're going to be eating uh, the memorial uh, of, of that Passover event from Exodus when God has the 10th plague, delivers the people from Egyptian bondage. There's going to be the unleavened bread, the bitter herbs, and all of those things. Trivia point here. When he says he'll show you a large upper room, uh, and you will call... Um, you know, Eutychus is going to fall from the third story. Uh, and he says, where is the guest chamber where I might eat the Passover? This is the same Greek word as when Jesus was laid in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Oh. So that word can mean inn, or it can mean somebody's guest chamber in the way interesting and uh so uh, here it's used like in mark 14 where it's the guest chamber uh the greek word is what is it there uh and uh it's used in luke 2 she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn and then again where is the guest chamber so it yeah. could have been that they're going to maybe stay with some relatives or something, but all the the guest room and everything was full. And you've been over there. Uh, you're familiar, and maybe you can describe for us if you were able to see an example of this. First century houses would often have a bottom story, kind right. of like today in the city where your bottom floor is the garage, right? living quarters over it, and then maybe some bedrooms up here if i remember correctly a common structure of maybe it was part of the four room house i'm not sure but a lower section where you have animals right can you describe that for us if you're familiar? yeah I mean, that, that's exactly right and then a lot of times you would you just hang out on the roof I, I think modern apartment buildings in cities were not that far from you know a first century kind of mindset is the only way to build on is to build up yeah. um, and that actually reminds me of Second uh, Kings 4. I hadn't put it together until you mentioned it. You remember when Elisha is traveling through and there was that that rich woman uh, and she tells her husband, let's, let's make a small room on the roof. Oh, and, you know, and I'm, I'm from, you know, Alabama originally. You think about putting an extra room on the roof. You'd never do that. <laughs> right. Uh, but but in a city i think it was really comfortable she says um but it, but in a big city situation or in this ancient middle eastern situation 
on the roof makes sense. So the upper room, the guest room, all that fits with the story here in Mark 14. Uh, just a little bit more about that. I'm going to get back to it. Some of these cities would get super, super populated. Corinth, some estimates you say that the population of Corinth might have been 500,000, and yet it's not a large area. Um, and you have a walled city. Jerusalem right. is a walled city. You build the walls. It's, you know, so if you're if you're inside, yeah, it's Manhattan. Right. You know, skyscrapers this way. Yeah, yeah. So so this fits, and uh, of course, it's probably going to be um, you can get more uh, more breeze up on the roof anyway. So so here they are in this upper room. One of the things that strikes me about this story is it's just so odd. Uh, I mean, Jesus says, you go into town, there's going to be a certain guy, and he's going to have a jar, and it's a jar of water, and just follow him, wherever he goes, just follow him, and when you get to wherever he's going, he's going to turn and say, you know, what do you need? Uh, <laughs> and well, the teacher, he's looking for a place to eat with his disciples. He's like, oh yeah, come right this way. And it just, I don't know, like this would never happen in real life, it seems, but but Jesus has just arranged everything. Yeah. And and the I guess the application there, uh, there are times where Jesus is gonna tell us to do stuff that just seems like, how can that even work? But you just do what the master says and it's it's gonna be what he wants it to be. Yeah, it's uh it, if your child doesn't know how to play chess and you've got all the pieces arranged, and then you bring them over and say, move this piece from here to there. He might not know why, but right. you know why <laughs> you, you right. say it that way. Yeah. Uh, and how many times in our lives has Jesus set things up? Now, I think it can be self-deceiving when we start to assume everything. Right. And I'll give you some examples. How many people believe in God because, well, my mom had cancer and she got better. Right. So they believed in God. Well, my mom had cancer and she didn't get better. That didn't mean God didn't exist. Right. My mom believed in God, not because she got better from her cancer. Um, so when there's some interesting circumstances, Paul says this, writing to Philemon, perhaps this happened this way so that so that this would happen. But how many times? Uh, and one of my favorite examples of that is the Ethiopian unit. Uh, we know why Philip ended up there, because he was specifically told, go down right. to Gaza, go down to this place, and then now join yourself to this chariot. So it was revealed to him exactly what to do. How did the eunuch happen to be in Isaiah 53? I believe God arranged that. Yeah. And God has many different avenues that he could have employed to make that happen. And we don't have to know what they were. And he didn't know. All he knew is he's reading Isaiah 53. He doesn't understand it. And then the man who's had it revealed to him what to do right. tells him who it is and then tells him the gospel. And now he's been told what to do. And he said, here's some water. What does hinder me to be baptized? So our job is to do what God has revealed for us to do. But also to appreciate we don't have to know everything God's doing behind the scenes, and we don't need to. Right. We can take care of that. And this yeah. is 
example of how kind of many details he can have arranged. Yeah, I, I'm. I think we've got to be careful. Well, not just careful. We should never try to determine what God's will is based off circumstances. Uh, that's this is dangerous. Um, we talk about God opening a door. Uh, I, I think there's there's definitely a place for that for sure. God does open doors, but some sometimes you know open doors lead to elevator shafts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, and some some closed doors need to be uh, kicked down. I think of Joseph. You know, uh, back in in Genesis, Joseph certainly had an open door with Potiphar's wife. Um, yeah. There's ample opportunity. There, there wasn't. There's, there's Bathsheba down there later with David. Wow, there must yeah. be a reason. Right. So, so don't determine God's will by circumstances. Uh, at the same time, uh, I, I like the way you put that. Is God is working providentially. I don't always know how He's doing it. Um, I've heard some people say, "Well, I don't know if it was providence or what." And I'll just say it was providence. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's not God or some other mystical force in control of things. God's in control of things, but I don't always know what exactly He's doing in the situation. In this situation, Jesus is getting His disciples together for this memorial meal. Uh, it's it says. I mean, this is what makes the Jews the Jews, the Passover. This is their national identity. If you yeah. miss the Passover meal, you're not a Jew anymore. You, know, you, you have been cut off from the people. So they're getting together to remember their identity as God's delivered people. But Jesus is going to take it and establish a new memorial. Okay. Um, but before he does that, in 17 through 21, he, he drops the news that one of them is going to betray him. Um, and what strikes me as interesting again, verse nineteen, is they don't all point the finger at Judas and say it's that guy. You know, he's got the dark mascara and the shifty eyebrows. I bet it's Judas. Uh, they're asking the question, "Could it be me?" Uh, and then Jesus responds that it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. You know, woe, woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Um, I don't know what, what what do you make of Jesus's response here about this betrayal? Better if he had not been born. Well, it reminds me of his other better, better for a millstone to be hung around your neck uh, and be cast into the sea. I mean, millstones, pretty heavy thing. Uh, better to you know lose your hand or your eye than than uh, than, than your soul and stuff. Um, yeah. And there was something else, but then it just slipped in my mind. Oh, um, the purpose for which we're created. Why are we created? The purpose of a human being should be to fulfill the greatest command. This is the whole of man. To fear God and do His commandments. Famous, yeah. uh, love God with your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. A sinner is a human being out of control. So I'm looking out the window in, in, in a car. Okay, what's the purpose of that car? Well, it, it, you can travel people up and down the road and take them to places. That's the purpose of the car. It, it's it's not a garden to plant things in, although you could, you know, fill it with dirt. It, it, it's not a zoo, although you could put a bunch of animals in there. It, it Here's its designed purpose. But we've all seen what a car out of control does. 
it's destructive to itself and everybody around it. Mm -hmm. And a sinner is a human being out of control. And if that's if if you don't come out of that, then you are failing to be the very thing you were created for. Like at a factory, if you're making toasters, and at the end of the line there's the you know quality control, and they plug it up and it doesn't toast. Off into the junk pile it goes. Mm-hmm. You know, right. bulbs. You touch. Off, I don't know if they test them, but if they do anything that you test, if it fails, if it doesn't do the one thing it's supposed to do, a watch that doesn't tell time, there, there, there's no point in it. And so it's just better that you not have even existed. I think I hear something of Jesus' compassion here, his concern for Judas, um, which is just is so powerful uh you know in john john tells us that jesus washed the feet of his disciples and judas would have been one of those disciples uh jesus cares for judas here uh and i wonder if there's not still some kind of warning some kind of hope against hope that judas won't do this thing not for jesus's sake jesus is going to go through with this but what judas is going to do in rending his own soul uh by betraying jesus uh, it, it's it's a fate worse than death, and and he he knows what Judas is going to do. He's uh, from the in John it says he knew which one was going to betray him, uh, and when he prays, you know, I didn't lose anyone except the son of perdition. But it's sad, and and we come back to that double minded man that mm-hmm. Jesus warns us about, and that we've all probably been at times. Well, verses 22 uh, through 25 here uh, says, as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. uh, I feel like this is a passage I'm just super familiar with because we think about it every Sunday, you know, when we get together with Christians and remembering Jesus together. Um, but Jesus takes uh, two elements from the traditional Passover, the Jews would have celebrated, uh, and repurposes them. And he does it in a, I, I just, I wonder what the disciples were thinking in this moment. You know, this is my body. It's like, oh, well, okay. Um, all right. Jesus has done some weird things before in teaching. Uh, and then here's my blood of the covenant. And for the Jews, that must have been uh, a statement that resonated with them. That's what Moses said in Exodus 24 when he comes down from the mountain and announces the terms of the covenant uh, with the Israelites there in the, the wilderness. And he, he actually sprinkles them with blood from that and part of the blood goes on them part of it goes on the writing of the law this is the blood of the covenant and jesus is saying that this is my blood of the covenant he's establishing a new covenant with them um so there's the bread his body there's the the cup which is his blood but then he says i'm not going to drink this again until that day when i drink it new in the kingdom of god and i'll tell you that that statement has always baffled me a little bit 
Um, what do you think he means there in verse 25? I'm not sure. Um, I can throw out a couple of possibilities. Um, we're having communion with him, with his body, with his blood. Uh, each time we take the Lord's Supper, maybe that's what he means in communion with us, even though he's not here physically. Okay. He's drinking it. Or, um, I, I don't, I, I think the kingdom officially comes. Uh, I usually think of it as the day of Pentecost, but he's going to show up the next Sunday. The, the resurrection is on a Sunday. Uh, the first appearance to the apostles is on a Sunday. The second appearance to the apostles is on a Sunday. The day of Pentecost is on a Sunday. Um, and, uh, but I'm just not sure. I'm with you. I'm not sure exactly what it means. Yeah, I think it's, it's probably one of those two where it's, uh, there's a, a symbolic sense in which Jesus uh, is is with us when we take the Lord's Supper, when we take the communion. Um, or maybe it's the idea that when Jesus returns and there's the kingdom in its fullness, uh, that it will be a celebration. Uh, there's a, you know, the wine goes with this picture of um, of revelry and, and delight. Uh, and so there's going to be this uh, pleasurable, blessed reunion with him. I'm not sure which way to take that, but or if this is Lord's Supper with him a week later. I just, but I don't see any record, yeah. so I just don't. Know. Either, either way, it, it certainly would be uh, impacting the disciples here to, to be thinking this is such a sorrowful time, and the Passover is a weighty night anyway for the Jews. It, it's meant to be a sober evening, but still, this is oh, this is still pretty pretty down. Um, I think the Passover was kind of this mixture for them by by now it was a sober event but it was also a family get together it was a family reunion the jews from all over together and, and jesus seems to be maybe more sober than they would have expected him to be he's come into his kingdom he's arrived he's very popular with the people and now he's talking about his body and his blood i think this is shocking something just occurred to me too we're looking at this verse and we're not sure what it means just to make a point here, let's suppose that before the Lord comes back, he first came down and he appeared to all the Christians. He said, this Sunday, I'm taking the Lord's Supper with you. And he came down and he took the Lord's Supper with us. He just went around there. He just took the Lord's Supper with a bunch. And was like, oh, oh, that's. And then, of course, looking back at it later, if somebody said, well, you said he was going to drink it with you, you, well, yeah, but I didn't, you know, it's like, <laughs> here is, he's also telling them, I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised. Mm. Seem to be confused. If he literally showed up and took the Lord's Supper with us, after that, we would say, oh, oh, he meant that he was going to drink it with us in the kingdom. And then people after that would say, well, yeah, it's right there. And yet, mm. We're looking at this and i'm not sure if he means it literally or symbolically and i think sometimes the disciples didn't know and sometimes right. he said beware the leaven of the pharisees and they're like they didn't and john they're they're not understanding him and then finally he says something very clear and they said okay that wasn't a dark saying <laughs> you, you said that plainly. right right we got yeah that. now we understand yeah. Yeah, I had I had thought about that one word, drink it new in the kingdom of God. But after the resurrection, 
that makes sense. That makes sense. That's probably a good good place for us to stop for today. It's about a about a quarter till three, um, but uh, we'll pick up here uh, in the future with Jesus talking to Peter about his denial. Um, these two disciples, Judas and Peter, there's so much in common between the two of them, and yet so much that's different. Yeah. Uh, and that difference, I think, would be worth talking about uh, next time. So um, anything else you want to address before we sign off? Thanks, Justin. Thank you, audience. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for uh, tuning in with us. Uh, that concludes our discussion for today. Uh, and if you found this helpful, we ask that you just uh, share it if you can. Share it with uh, some people you think would be uh, benefited by this, this simple, powerful Bible study. Again, if you have thoughts or questions you want to ask us or share with us, uh, please go to our website, BibleQuest.tv. Thanks for joining in, and God be with you. And if he's willing, uh, we'll see you next week.